2: Hi, I'm Richard. I'm a Manchester City fan. Uh, I am a part of the Blue Moon Podcast, who are on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast, and I am on Twitter at Richard The Burns. Hi, guys. I'm Sam. I'm a Crystal Palace fan.
0: I am a writer for the Eagles Beak fan site, and you can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore Cop.
1: All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, We're going to start off talking a little bit about Huddersfield. Uh, They are the first team to be relegated this season. Relegated in March is not a particularly good look, um, but it has happened there. Uh, So I just wanted to start uh, by talking about their stint in the Premier League. They were up for two years, had some pretty high highs last season, um, potentially at the expense of uh, Sam and Crystal Palace there. Almost poetic (laughs) that it ends the way. Uh, that it did. But what did you guys make of their time up in the Premier League?
2: Uh well I think I think the way it's ended, it's been so sort of feeble this season, I think has been a real shame. It's always good for the league when um the, the unfancied teams come up and do well. Um and, and last season they did that. It was the sort of classic, I know it's a cliche, but it was the fairy tale story. Nobody had ever fancied them to get up in the first place. and um, they did it. Uh, they did it brilliantly uh, i think in in the playoffs it was it was really exciting to watch them come up um and then last year they were they were an absolute sort of credit they the, the, I remember them making it very difficult at their stadium for City um, and we required a very sort of fortunate last minute winner against them and when they did have the difficult moments they sort of rode them out very well, They had a, I remember them having a great result beating United at home, I think they were the first team to beat United last season, they stayed up by securing a draw at, at Stamford Bridge, they just had so many really good moments that you would have thought it would have been something really positive to build on and they just they just completely failed to do that it was um you know i think they didn't do good business in the summer they struggled massively up front uh you know the 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 goal scoring statistics this season are absolutely shocking i think they got to about february without a striker score and it's just it's not sustainable to stay in the premier league with that kind of form Uh, obviously they got to a, a point where the manager who was sort of adored by the fans and seemed really happy there he you know he obviously decided that the job wasn't for him anymore and and needed to move on. So uh, I think it's always a possibility with a team that isn't as well resourced as other teams around them. Um, And second season syndrome kicks in. It's always a possibility that they're going to go down. I think Huddersfield fans will be disappointed and possibly annoyed at at how feeble it's been because it doesn't matter whether you're a, a big club or not. Or how long you've been in the Premier League to be relegated in March is frankly, um, it's a bit embarrassing. And those players, for all that they you know, they do lack quality compared to the the teams around them. They also look like they've been phoning it in for a little while now. And I understand my heads would drop, but at some point that professionalism has got to kick in and that that pride. And they had you know they still had moments. Obviously they had a, a good result against Wolves relatively recently there was the game against Arsenal just after the uh, after the change of manager where they, they seemed to put up a much better fight but those moments have been far too fleeting and so it's it's a shame it's a shame to lose them in the sense that like I say you always want an unfancy club to do well and teams punching above the weight in a division where that often seems like it, it might not be as possible anymore that has to be good for the league um but in respect of their performances this season then you Know they've got what they deserved, yeah. I just kind
0: of echo what Richard said there, really. I think he summed it up really well. But I think obviously, no one really expected them to manage the two seasons that they have. So, from that perspective, I suppose you could allude to it as being a success. Um, last season, they obviously got off to that flying start at Palace, winning 3 0, and then went on this one, went on a bit of a run. Um, and then those kind of draws at City and Chelsea that they needed at the end of last season to stay up kind of. They sort of embodied that fighting spirit that they'd harnessed under David Wagner. Um, This season, on the other hand, obviously they didn't get off to that flying start. And I think at that point you started to worry because I think they they kind of lived off that a little bit last season. Um, Having accumulated so many points early on, it sort of got to the stage where they only needed a few more wins to get over the line. But um, obviously it's been the second fastest relegation in Premier League history. They've won just three games and it's just really looked like a matter of when they were going to go rather than if. Um, and as Richard kind of as alluded to there, there've been a number of issues. um I think the main one being that the team just doesn't have enough quality. um having watched them at part yesterday, Pritchard on the ball, um Aaron Moy were good, but as soon as they got into the final third, it just you never really felt in danger of them scoring, which um which has been the main the main point, their failure to kind of to kind of buy anyone to support uh, is it uh, Mooney and uh, van Lep- uh, not Van and Parra? um the, um. Big bearded guy. I can't remember. But, um, mm. but anyway, yeah, those guys who came in over the summer, Terence Congolo came in uh, to bolster the defence. They spent a lot of money on him and he's been decent. Um, but I think you kind of look in January was a point when they sort of had to go gung-ho for it. And <laughs> I think the, the kind of indication that they'd accepted their fate was when they signed Jason Punch and on from us. That was <laughs> probably the least inspiring signing of all. And I mean, they have been unlucky this season. They've had some injuries. Moyes missed a lot of it uh billing more recently who was really good for them this season um but oh, it's just been really disappointing they've sort of gone out with a whimper uh, they've not really given their fans much to shout about um but going back to what i said at the start it's still been a great story they're a, they're a well-run club no one really expected them to to come up in the first place they've got a local owner um and and what they did last season was against the odds and they've managed to cut it in the top flight for a while. Um, looking ahead now, there's obviously rumours that Dean Hoyle is looking to sell. And you'd imagine that players like Moy, Kungolo, and Billing will probably have a few Premier League sides sniffing around them. So it's it's uncertain from that perspective. But I think I think you imagine that they and their fans will kind of be looking forward to this season being over now and hopefully getting back to actually winning some games in the championship.
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, um, bringing up Moy's injury. They picked up one point while Moy was mm-hmm. out. And it was the better part of three months, if memory serves. Um, so that that obviously was a hammer blow. Uh, they got their striker signing wrong, um, spending their money on Mounier. They, they didn't have a lot of money to spend. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure after that Palace match, people were thinking, you know, he's going to come and be a big threat. He was obviously a, a monster in the air. Uh, when he was playing in France, that seemed like a thing that he'd be able to translate into the Premier League because he's a big physical striker. But it just did not work out for them. Uh, Richard, you mentioned uh, their goal-scoring statistics. Zonka, their defender, Matthias Jorgensen, his actual name, uh, leads the team in goals with three. <laughs> That's You just can't stay up like that. Um, I do agree with both of you. It was kind of a magical story, especially last year. Uh, you brought up the... Um, uh, result against Chelsea that ensured they'd stay up. That also ensured that Tottenham would finish in the top four. So I was very much a fan of that <laughs> result. Um, and and uh, like you guys mentioned, they they got results against big clubs, which as a fan of one of those top six clubs, you always like those teams passively. It's like, oh, great. They took points off of whoever again. Um, and, so I I did enjoy their time up in the Premier League. I agree with you guys. The, the signings weren't great. And when you have that that kind of budget, they kind of have to be. They were very reliant on some key players that either got hurt or didn't live up to it. Um, then, it, you know, of course, as soon as Wagner left, it kind of felt like the rating was already on the door. But they bring in Sievert. Maybe he stays on next year. Uh, you did mention a few players that might leave, but the the opposite side of the coin, where you mentioned that their squad isn't that good, is they probably will be able to have most of them next season. They probably won't see their their squad kind of picked to the bone. Um, so maybe they'll be able to recover decently well in the championship, obviously, Every team that goes down thinks, well, we're going down, we'll win more games, maybe we'll come back up. Um, recently, we've seen that a little bit less, um, but they should be in decent shape going down. If the club is sold, that'll be interesting to see if they can kind of maintain the stability that's kind of been there. But um, on the whole, I think they did very well in the Premier League. It is disappointing uh, that that they've struggled so badly this season, um, especially for a player like Aaron Moy, who probably was just sat at home watching how poorly things were going, just wishing he could be out there and making an impact. But again, Richard, as you said, going down in March is just, it's almost inexcusable. And, and uh, Sam, I think you said the second fastest. I didn't actually know that. So mm. that's that's very, very rough. But they did a incredible job uh, while they were up, especially last season. Uh, and hopefully they continue to be a healthy and well-run club uh, in the championship next season. All right, next up we'll talk a little bit about Liverpool. Um, They pull off a win against Tottenham to go top again. Manchester City with a game in hand, of course, though. Um, It happens in the last minutes of the match. Hugo Lloris drops a ball um, on his goal line. It hits Toby Alderweireld in the legs and just dribbles in. This is not the first time that Liverpool have gotten a lucky win at the death. They've been very good this season, but it just seems like these lucky bounces just keep happening for them. Do you think that that factor makes it any more or less likely that they claim the title of this season? Or do you think it might just be a little bit of recency bias that since we're looking for those lucky bounces for them that we're seeing them more?
2: I think um, it's not so much the fact that they are... I don't know. It's, it's not so much the fact that they're, they're lucky that will drive them to the title. And I know that's not not quite what you're saying. But I think what it does... Um it reaffirms when you, when you're in a title race and you continuously get moments that are you know there's no two ways about it they are lucky um they are lucky moments when Louis uh, makes a mistake like today, like Jordan Pickford did uh, against. Uh, against Liverpool in the Merseyside derby in stoppage time, like Riyad Mahrez missing a stoppage time penalty back in September that would have ended their unbeaten run right at the start um, and probably makes them think a little bit differently about themselves in relation to City. Like These things, they have such, I believe, such a huge impact on the mentality of a whole club. And I say that from experience of last season, um, when... City in the third game we were drawing one all at Bournemouth and we hadn't been very good at all Um, and we got a I mean it was a deserved win but it was a 97th minute winner that sort of bounced in off Sterling's thigh and and over the keeper uh, or off his shin and then a little bit later in the season we weren't very good against Southampton and okay not lucky in the same way but it took like a 94th minute winner for, for Sterling to rescue that one and then when the unbeaten run looked like it was going to come to an end, when Palace got a last-minute penalty against us, they <laughs> uh, Palace miss it. Like these, these uh, I mean, granted it was saved, but these things just they make you feel like nothing's going to go against you, um, and that is a, a huge, huge feeling to have. Uh, I think it, it alleviates a little bit of pressure, which at this time of the season is is necessary um, and very helpful. And not only that, it makes your opponent. You know you have to have a strong will as a city fan if you can look at that and not think that all the all the cards are landing in Liverpool's favor you know it's um yeah and I don't, you know I don't blame them for it, but there is also the recency bias uh, element of it because a couple of weeks ago we were extremely fortunate with our opening goal against Watford that was quite clearly offside um and You know would we have gone on to win that game we were the better team but they were defending very well against us and it was getting frustrating if that doesn't happen right at the start of the second half maybe maybe they shut us out um and and see it through with a draw or more Uh, and then obviously against okay it doesn't affect the title race but in that general feeling obviously against swansea in the fa cup we were extremely fortunate that we got a penalty that um you know it probably wasn't one. I don't think it was quite as nailed on as or nailed off, I suppose, or as contentious as uh, as everyone had it, but it was. It certainly was a bit fortuitous to get it. And then the winning goal was offside. So we have had moments of luck ourselves this season, but I think when we look back at this season, if Liverpool were to win the league by two points, for example, and we can point at Mahrez missing a penalty and stoppage time, um, Pickford palming one in, um, against Palace, the um, you know keeper didn't exactly have a great game. Mm. Just in the four uh, three, just or four two, whatever it was. Forgive me, um, but it it does start to wear you down when you're a fan who doesn't want these things to keep happening.
0: <laughs> uh, I guess from the perspective of a supporter of, I guess one of the Premier League sort of smaller clubs. Looking at these, it's uh, we always kind of refer to ourselves as not getting as much luck as the uh, as the bigger sides. But I think, I think really what it is is you sort of make your own, um, especially in games like today, uh, you, and even going back to the Everton one. Um, the the main reason that Liverpool kind of get these breaks is because they're they're sort of throwing everything forward. They're the ones who are sort of in the ascendancy. They're piling pressure on. Them. They're they're desperate. Ultimately, they're putting these balls into the box um, because they know they know the title race is kind of depending on it. So. That goal at the end was sort of the result of uh, a period of pressure of them just kind of throwing everything they could at the game after Spurs drew level because they knew it was kind of it was a pretty pivotal moment in this title race. So um, obviously it's fortunate that Lloris didn't catch the ball and it bounced off Alderweireld, but at the same time I think it's kind of a reward for sort of Klopp's positive mentality, sending on Origi and Fabinho, um, and just yeah, I think I. I think basically what Liverpool have sort of done this season is they've found ways to grind out results even when they're not playing very well, which in the past we've always there's always been kind of a criticism of them. They've always been kind of they've always played really well, they've looked really pretty going forward, they've scored a lot of goals, but you could always accuse them of sort of dropping points in games where they shouldn't have done. And this season, obviously, with Van Dyke coming in, they've showed up at the bat, they're not conceding as many. And they are getting these they are getting these lucky breaks, but that's kind of what you need in a title race and I don't really think you can begrud, begrudge them that, that much because They are still the team that in a lot of these games are the ones pushing forward, they're the ones going for the win, and a lot of the time those those breaks are a result of that.
1: So do you think that makes it more likely that this trait would help them win the title because you're thinking that they're creating it more than it just kind of being a fluke?
0: Well, I mean, I I don't know if it's... What it ultimately is, is is getting them another win, isn't it? If they would drawn today, suddenly you're thinking, well, City have another game in hand, Um, they're top of the league. Uh, and it sort of looks like, I don't know if Liverpool, Liverpool's chances are fading, but what it what it essentially does, it keeps that momentum going. And I don't know, I think from from a neutral perspective, obviously Richard wouldn't agree, from a neutral perspective, I was quite happy to see that ball drop in because it means it keeps it interesting and it keeps the title race alive.
1: All right, we'll just kind of keep that momentum going into uh, the last topic here at the start of the show, because it's about all these very tight races that are making the Premier League fascinating at the moment. Uh, currently, four points of fewer separate from third to sixth, seventh down to 11th, and 15th all the way down to 18th. So the whole top four battle, potential Europa League spot battle, and the relegation battle are all still very, very close. Um, how invested are you guys in those uh, kind of races for specific spots that your club is not involved in?
2: Honestly... Um... I am obviously interested in them because I'm a football fan and I love the Premier League um but it's hard to be completely invested in the other battles when uh city have got so much going on taking up all my nervous energy <laughs> at the moment um you know there's obviously fights in all competitions that focusing on um so yeah I am I am invested in the others I think the the relegation battle um Personally, I find particularly interesting because I think Cardiff have done a lot, lot better than uh, than I expected them to do. I, I didn't think they would still be in with a reasonable chance by now. Um, I, I figured that they'd probably be in the, the sort of position where Fulham are um, as, as good as gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Kev, as as we have spoke about through the season, I did predict at the start of the season Burnley to go down and um, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a particularly popular shout at the time, so for the sake of finally getting a prediction right after about <laughs> 30 years of being on this earth, <laughs> I am invested in Burnley going down um, for, for pretty much that sole reason of just wanting to be right about something. Um, but I do think it's an interesting one. Uh, just the ebb and flow of a relegation battle is always interesting. It only takes a team winning one or two games and everything looks massively different and it looks like it's you know a, a race is over and then that team slips up for another game and and all of a sudden it's tightly contested again um i i do think i do think cardiff will probably be the ones to drop uh but i think there's a lot left in that race yet um the top 4 is definitely interesting because again, there's been ebbs and flows to it, that United have got themselves up to fourth is is remarkable given where they were when Solskjaer took over. Um, obviously, you'll, you won't need many guesses um, as to where I hope that, where, you know, where they finish in relation to a top four challenge. Um, but on the flip side, you've got Sarri, who spent the season being widely criticised, and yet they're just a point off the top four. Granted, Arsenal have got a, a game in hand in that. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's, to use that most sort of modern of uh, football words that, uh, that's popped up into the lexicon in the last couple of seasons there's narratives all over it aren't they in in every single way um is to do managers keep the jobs um, you know some of those managers like it, at burnley dyche is a bit of a hero what would happen if he were to take them down for a second time um if Solskjaer doesn't get United into the top four, having been given the job permanently, based on that sort of momentum that he's accrued, uh, going into his first summer as a as a permanent manager. Um, yeah, there's, there's narratives all over it which make it interesting. But um, I'm invested for petty reasons, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for me, I'm still...
2: Uh...
0: I'm still really enamoured with the title race. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I saw a stat before from Dan Storey tweeted uh, saying that Liverpool are on course for the fourth highest points total in Premier League history, and could still finish end up finishing second, which is mental. I mean, I think we're just I think we're really really lucky just to be kind of living in this title race. Especially, I'm sure Richard won't agree, but it is great to kind of watch both of these teams going at it, playing as well as they are, and winning games every single week. Um, and it feels like you're just waiting for one of them to slip up, but neither is. Um, and I think Liverpool are just incredible. I know we've been talking about luck; they're not lucky to be in. Sec- uh, they're not lucky to be where where they are, but they are incredibly unlucky to be up against arguably the most relentless Premier League team in history. Um, looking away from that, I think seventh to eleventh, I try to ignore because that's where I think Palace should be, and it's looking increasingly likely that we won't be there. So I try to ignore the teams in that bracket. Um, to sixth uh, as rich said yeah is is really interesting and it and um, recently it kind of looked like it was starting to take shape but there have been more and more sort of turns in that especially with Spurs losing again today it opens it up a little bit more um, if I was to win their game in hands and they then they go third all of a sudden which I don't think a lot of people would have expected at the start of the season uh, Chelsea for me are probably the worst team out of those uh, I think they would really really poor against cardiff today and we're incredibly lucky to come out of that with a win. Um I do get the sense that united will sneak in there. Uh, I think they're still kind of riding that crest of a wave with with in, and, and they look they do look a much better side. Um so I do feel like the momentum them into the top 4. Uh Kev you won't like to hear this but I actually fear that spurs could be the one to miss out. I know they've got they've got the new stadium but they've also got the distraction of the Champions League. Um, and we we keep mentioning this word momentum, and Spurs don't seem to have a whole load of it at the moment, uh, which isn't great when you've got teams around you that are gaining it. Uh, so, so yeah, the top the race for the top four is one, which is is one that I'm I wouldn't say I'm invested in, but definitely interested in. And then obviously the the one which I was previously extremely invested in, but maybe less so now that we've got ourselves a couple more wins. And then the win yesterday is obviously the relegation battle. But I think that is sort of starting to become a little bit more concrete. Obviously, Huddersfield have gone, Fulham are all but gone. Uh, Cardiff, if they'd wanted it, it was such a shame that uh, that they lost today. I think if Cardiff had won that, um, they go to Burnley, I think, is it next week? They go to Burnley the next in one of their next games, which would have been absolutely huge if they were only a couple points behind them. Um, so it was a real shame to see them lose. And I think that five-point gap now, um, game, they've got a game in hand, but that game in hand is against City. Um, so you do fear for them now they've got a 5 point gap to overturn with 6 games to go, uh, it's going to be in- incredibly difficult for them and so you look at the other sides and around it, Southampton under Harson hutel they look a much better side and I think they'll start to pull away, Brighton, I think if Palace had beaten Brighton a couple of weeks then they'd really be worrying But because they've not been in very good form at all um, but yeah, I think it's looking increasingly likely that it's going to be Cardiff who go unfortunately
1: yeah, I agree. They really needed that win today. And I did say a couple of weeks back that the thing that I liked Cardiff uh for and back to them to to stay up is that when a team is struggling, I think the easiest way to regroup is to rely on your best thing. And I just think that they can defend well. Once they let mm-hmm. one in, sometimes they kind of fold, but they tend to be able to defend well. And I thought they'd really be able to, to rely on that. But then again, with, with the bad luck today, the first goal should have been offside. Then do they have the momentum to go on and score the second? Probably not. But unfortunately, those what-ifs just uh, don't uh, impact the table because they ended Mm -hmm. up not happening. Um, But yeah, I agree that Cardiff probably the ones to go down. The title race, obviously, very fascinating. The top four race wasn't supposed to be fascinating for me, but it's quickly become (laughs) so. I very much see um, what you're saying, Sam, and it's hard to back Tottenham after their recent results. But what I will say is in the aftermath of the loss today, and uh, I didn't want to get into this, um, (laughs) but... Everybody right now is being very negative on Tottenham, and for good reason. I mean, since Kane came back, what is it, four losses and a draw? The draw being the North London derby. Mm-hmm. if memory serves. Southampton, Burnley, Chelsea, yeah. Liverpool, yeah. Um, what I will say is in the past, it took us being in an incredibly good run of form to be, con- to, to be contending. And then when we hit our struggly patch, which we always do, we fell out of everything. We were so far ahead in the top four race that we haven't picked up a win in five matches. And even if Arsenal win tomorrow, we will end this match week in the top four. So, like, yes, everything is very negative, horrible run of form. But for me, I think it is less likely that we will continue to be able to play that poorly, that that (laughs) this was the bad run. And we're still in it and then can recover from here. Entirely understandable why people from the outside looking in would not view it that way. But I think this is kind of a, a response to the Tottenham fans that are now saying, oh, we've bottled it, oh, we're gonna lose. Bottling it now is still being in the top four at, mm-hmm. at the end of the week. You know what I mean? Like that it used to yeah, be we so. were battling for top four, then we'd struggle and finish eighth. So like this this is still a huge shift. Maybe the stadium helps. Maybe we just started to get a little bit more lucky with the bounces. We'll get players back like Winks and Aurier so that we won't have to rely on Trippier versus Mane, which didn't burn us as much as it could have. But we'll see midweek if it it damages us with Saha. But there have just been so many struggles that it's easy to see why everybody is viewing Tottenham in a negative light, especially with the recent run of form. But I'm choosing to view it as that poor (laughs) run of form has gotten us down here. Hopefully it will end soon and then we'll recover. But we will see. But but all of these points are why all these races are so fascinating. And uh, yeah, me for one, I, I find all of these races to be really, really interesting. Also, I didn't see anything before this. But uh, Richard, with City winning, does that mean that 7th is automatically a Europa League spot? Or is that still up in the air?
2: Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, well, because the
1: EFL Cup awards a winner. Yeah. Um, and you're going... You're, you know what? I'm willing to go on record with this. I think you're going to finish in a Champions League spot. So, I That's think a big shout. <laughs> yeah, I know. I you know I'm going on a limb uh, like yours. Thirty years on this earth, I'm, I'm trying to get a prediction right. Um, <laughs> but that that does make that middle race way more interesting. Like that Everton West Ham match, it makes a match like that have a lot more importance. Wolves have obviously been very impressive this season and their their debut campaign back up. Um, so that that one's fascinating. The title race is fascinating. Top four is fascinating, but I hate it. And <laughs> the, the relegation battle, very interesting, although I do agree with you. I, th- this, this Cardiff result today is so damaging, both in terms of the points that they had on the board that have now been lost, but also just confidence-wise. Like, Richard, you talked about the confidence of when, when luck is going your way when you were talking about Liverpool. If you're Cardiff after a match like that, and you know what a win could have done, that has to be equally deflating as it is encouraging for a club like Liverpool.
0: It just also means that um, when they go to Burnley next week, they absolutely have to win it. Um, whereas if they'd won today, they possibly oh. could have got away with going there and playing for a draw. Yeah, but, if, but even um, if they
1: did get a win, then they could have left them, right? Because that's four. Yeah, it? yeah,
0: exactly. exactly. Yeah, so, uh, As you say, just sort of changes the picture completely.
1: Yeah, rough stuff for them for sure. Uh, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full turns at mintmobile.com.
1: All right, and we are back. Richard, we'll start with you and Manchester City. Uh, you obviously get the win at the weekend, but... You and I are going to become very familiar with each other, at least our clubs, as we're going to play three times out of four matches uh, in the Premier League and Champions League, as uh, Sam mentioned earlier when referencing uh, what's coming up for Tottenham. Uh, how do you think that you will approach those matches? We we kind of had a situation like this last season. I Was it the semifinals with City and Liverpool? Um, so for those that don't recall or, or if things will be different this year, how do you think Pep will prepare with those kind of fixtures back-to-back?
2: Well... He's go- oh, it's a good question. He, I mean, he, he's going to have
1: to rotate
2: because it, this is what we saw. So it, was, it was the quarterfinals against uh, against Liverpool last year, and it was the it was the derby that was slipped in the middle where we um the derby where we could have and should have won the league. Um, and he, he had to rotate, and he, he had to prioritize the second leg of the Champions League game because we were in such dire straits. And so he ended up putting almost. Uh, you know, a, a relative second-string team out in the in the league game, but of course, we had the luxury last season of being so far ahead in the league that winning it in the derby was would have just been a bonus and great for the fans. But the title was never in doubt, sort of, regardless of that result, anyway. Um, and it absolutely isn't the case this season. We we're still fighting on three fronts, um, obviously, with with one trophy already in the bag. <laughs> So, he he can't prioritise. So, to me, what I'll be looking for is, will he be able to play Fernandinho in all three of those games? Because that's going to be absolutely huge. And if not, then he, he absolutely has to play uh, the away game of the Champions League. We can possibly, at home, afford to have Gundogan in his place. Um, But in the away game, I think Fernandinho absolutely has to be there to mop up and be be able to get us straight back on the attack. Um, In in all three of those games, the absolute preference would be to play Aguero. But he went off injured uh, yesterday. It didn't look serious, Touchwood. But again, maybe he's going to have to put Jesus in. So that would, I would wager, probably be the league game that he'd do that in. Um, the back four. Ideally, we'd always have Stones and Laporte as as our central defensive partnership. But if he has to throw anyone in, it's probably going to be company for experience, um, in place of one of those two. Um, and again, I mean, I suppose I'd wager that if it in games where and I use this very, very loosely, because whatever team he puts out in any game is going to be a very, very good team. But in games where he might have to make concessions and not play his ideal starting eleven, it probably is going to fall on the league game. Um, just the nature of it being at home, I think takes a little bit of the pressure off. We don't know what the situation is going to be going into the second leg of the Champions League game. It's realistically, it's probably going to be finely poised. I don't see either team uh, running away with the first leg. Uh, so I think it makes sense that the league game will be the one where any concessions might have to be made. The one one interesting factor for us though now is we've got Benjamin Mendy coming back. I was really surprised not to see him on the bench yesterday, given that he's now back fit and apparently training well. Um, Zinchenko has been outstanding since since around January, um, start of February, he's been absolutely outstanding at at left-back. He was the best player on the pitch in the cup final. Uh, That's a guy who started the season in pretty ropey form. He could have gone to Wolves in the summer and declined it on deadline day. He isn't a left-back. And now it's, you know, as a £50 million left-back, you'd think Mendy is going to get the shout once he's fit. But it shouldn't be an automatic choice now, but he'll offer us so much going forward. And if he's match fit and match ready, then he throws a whole new dynamic into it. Because, I mean, we seem to have this conversation once every couple of months anyway, but once he's back, he affects the way that Leroy Sané will play when Sané starts, although he's not been getting many starts recently, which, given how good he is, um, you know, you think you want to introduce him... it, maybe he's been safe for the big games, like the really, really big games, because he's so explosive that I think the kind of Champions League big European nights, um, um, he's absolutely made for them. I'll be sorry at Schalke when he turned on and he turned up and, and changed the game as soon as he came on. Uh, so. All that is to say, Kev, that I don't know exactly what approach Pep will take. We know we know the style that we're going to play. Um, I think where he has to make concessions, it will be the league game. But as to exactly the squads he'll pick, he's spent three years being pretty unpredictable in that regard, and I, I don't see that suddenly changing now.
1: Mm. Would you say that whichever matches we see Fernandinho and implies that those are the ones that he's taking more seriously? Yes. Um,
2: yeah. And, you know, I'm making an assumption there. Maybe he will play him in all three. The guy does go, does play a lot of football, but he's missed a few recently with injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's bearing in mind that we need him for all, of, you know, all, all the fronts that we're currently fighting on. He's going to be huge in all of those, hopefully until the very last stages of the season. Um, yeah, if he has to rest him, then I think the Champions League will take priority and will give us an indication of what Pep's thinking. Um, That said, I do genuinely believe that he's treating all competitions as important as each other because he just wants to win trophies. And unlikely though it still remains, we have got as reasonable a shout as anybody has ever had of actually pulling off the quadruple at the moment. Forget what Pep said publicly. Uh, or what the players say about, oh, we're not thinking about that, we're just taking it a game at a time. There is not a chance that Pep Guardiola is not thinking about the quadruple. With a maximum of 14 games left to play and in the form that we're in, there is no way it is not on his mind. Um, so I I don't necessarily think it's about prioritising competition or prioritising games. It's just about working out what your best options are in each game. And I think the intensity of Champions League 2 like a tie will mean that Fernandinho is more suited to those and if he has to bow out of one of them the league game might be a little bit more just a little bit more uh, relaxed
1: yeah all right going to come to you now sam to talk about crystal palace uh on the whole you have now relegated a team the last three seasons and more specifically yeah. van anholt has scored the winning goal for palace to relegate those teams the last three seasons uh firstly <laughs> can you make any sense of why you are continually able to do that And B, do you ever have like a sympathy in those situations where, you know, uh, what for you, because you're probably going to finish well above the relegation zone, but well below the Europa League spots is somewhat meaningless.
0: In reference to the first part, I guess it's just a matter of timing. We've just happened to play this team at these points last year. It was Stoke um, on the penultimate day. And uh, obviously this year, I can't remember who the other one was, actually. Do you know? For had the first Ooh, one. Oh, It was Hull City way. actually. Hull City. Oh yeah. Oh, it was four four at home. Van Aanholt got the last one. Yeah, um, it was yesterday actually because um, that second half we had so many chances. Uh, Zahar was through on goal twice. Townsend was in on goal once, and it's kind of uh, indicative of our season that I felt most confident when Van Aanholt was the one through on goal, and um, <laughs> funnily enough, he was the one who scored. But um, But yeah, I mean, you do kind of in those situations. It's it is actually quite hard to feel sorry for another team because us winning is sort of a pretty pivotal pivotal result for us in the sense that we'd had this dip in form and kind of really needed to get get back to winning ways. And you feared what the reaction might be if we'd struggled to overcome the worst team in the league. Um, And in the first half, it was kind of it was a really really turgid performance. We looked really nervous. Um, we basically looked like a team who was coming off the back of defeats against Brighton and Watford in our two biggest games of the season. And um, and Huddersfield probably could have gone ahead um, if it wasn't for Guaitha making a couple of really, really good saves. But um, but yeah, I mean, you, there is a sense of feeling sorry for Huddersfield. Uh, they've dished out some pretty rough, rough treatment to Zahar over the last couple of years, so it won't be... Not sorry to see them go in that sense. But um, yeah, you do fit, kind of feel bad for their fans at the end when you see... When you see the players going over and obviously they've known for a while that they're gonna be going down, but um I imagine it's a pretty rough feeling when it finally hits.
1: Yeah, then uh, speaking of Zaha, uh he's been playing uh centrally still. I I think people assume that when you brought in Batuai he'd be reverted out left. Uh just what have you made of that kind of combination since uh since Batshuayi came to the club?
0: Well, actually he has he has been playing on the left more and more. Um uh we have we have Been it has just been batchway through the middle with Zaha and Townsend on the flanks. But actually, what we did yesterday was we switched to 4 4 2 at half time because um, we were just having no joy whatsoever. They had a Pritchard's man marking Milovoyevich, which meant um, because they kind of they'd obviously pinpointed him as the man who gets us going forwards, and he's the guy who sort of keeps us ticking, moves the ball really quickly. Uh, so much so that Zaha didn't. I think he probably touched the ball about four or five times in the first half and was having absolutely no impact on the game whatsoever. Um, so the second second half, he actually took off Max Meyer, brought on brought on James MacArthur, and Zaha went into the middle. Uh, and that was kind of they started him and Batory started linking up a lot better. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been kind of hard to make uh, the relationship between those two because they. They've obviously not played as a front two together. But what I what I will say is that Benteke came on at 0-0 yesterday for Batch Y. And this is going to sound bizarre. Um, and I'm sure people from the outside looking in will think I'm crazy. But I do think we might actually be a better team when Benteke's on the pitch. Um, I, and I think it's going to be the, the we might. Just, yeah, exactly. I think we just might have to accept that he's never going to score a goal again, which obviously isn't ideal <laughs> for a striker. Um, but when he came on, it was just... Really, it, he's very good at the things which Batshway isn't for all I mean obviously Batshway has scored a few goals since he's come in, but uh in that lone striker role he doesn't really offer that much else. He can he's quite anonymous a lot of the time. Um but as soon as Benteke came on it was really apparent that he was sort of occupying those two centre backs. Um Zaha was getting the ball in a lot more space than when Batshway was on the pitch and I think what Benteke does is he he is kind of that presence and he does draw defenders towards him. It just creates space for everyone else. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Hodgson does going forward because, obviously, batch is this big name. He's come in um, with a decent reputation and he has done well. But um, I think our performances with him on the pitch haven't been as great as we would have liked. And I think Benteke coming on for the last 20 minutes yesterday will really give Hodgson something to think about.
1: Yeah, it is interesting, especially because Venteke's hold-up play has been so good. And even when he was struggling like last season, he still was like first or second in the league and had an aerial duels one. Um, so he's, mm-hmm. still, he's still doing stuff. But as you said, <laughs> apparently, yeah, he's just literally never going to score another goal in his career, which is a tough break for a striker. Um, yeah. All right, uh, now we will head into player watch. I'm curious to hear from you guys on which players your club needs to step up the most in order for your club to reach its targets this season. So, Richard, you keep mentioning the quadruple. Maybe uh, don't hang all of the hats on that, but which player would really need to step up the most in order for you to continue to challenge on all of those fronts?
2: Um, I think the the go-to one here has got to be Riyad Mahrez. Um, he's, he's not had a fantastic first season. Uh, I was, I was really... He didn't start really start well. Yeah, I was really happy with this that we signed him. Um, I could see the logic in it in terms of giving Sané and Sterling a little bit of a break and plus giving them a little bit of competition. Obviously, he has got title winning experience, so I thought that might come in handy. Um, I also don't think he's been terrible. Um, he's in a, a frustrating position at the moment that City fans just expect a lot of him because we, you know, we we're, we're so used now over the last couple of seasons to a very very high standard that like everybody gets held to that immediately. And obviously, you know, he he did cost sixty million pounds; he's our most expensive player, so it, it does tend to put a little bit more pressure on players. Um, I think he has a problem that when he comes on. He sometimes looks a little bit one-dimensional. That he's very good at getting outright and then whipping that ball into the back post, uh, but everything else he tries, he just looks like he's trying a little bit too hard. And it's throw, which I know sounds daft, but he's just overly keen to impress and really make his name, and it's I think affecting his decision making. Um, I am a lot of City fans will tell you that he's never going to work out uh, i am not that pessimistic with him at all I, I still think he's got a lot to offer um but he's also i mean he knew this when he came in and it's the nature of, of playing in a team like city but he's unfortunate in that the, the players that are sort of ahead of him are, are absolutely phenomenal it's, it's, impossible at the moment to dislodge Raheem Sterling for anything other than a a one-game rotation because he's one of our most important players if to be honest if not the most important this season Uh, Bernardo Silva is or should be an outside shout for player of the season because he's been absolutely outstanding Uh, and then Leroy Sané is he's not been starting a whole lot recently but he's he is phenomenal um And it's very hard to dislodge a player like that. So all the players that are where you'd expect Mahrez to potentially get in or or that fulfil a similar kind of role, it's just hard for him to dislodge. And when he does come in, we're at a crucial stage of the season where we can't afford to carry anybody. So we could do with him rising to that challenge. He did uh, in one of the games he, he played recently. Uh, he came on at Bournemouth when De Bruyne got injured and he came on and scored the winner there. So, he, he's not without his merit and I, like I say, I do like him and for the fact that he's not played as much football as any of us would have liked, he's still into double figures for goals and assists uh, combined. So it's not been terrible, um, but it has been a little bit underwhelming and he's not pushing those players ahead of him in quite the way we would like. So. If we could have him at his very best, where he, he taunts defenders and his, he makes good decisions with his passing, and you can rely on him to pull a goal out of nowhere when you know when when the going's a little bit tough, like we can rely on Sane and we can rely on Sterling to do that, then uh, he, he'll start to he'll start to pay back that transfer fee pretty quickly if he can do that. But yeah, he'd be he'd be the shout that we could do with him stepping up a notch. To be
1: fair interesting then coming to you now sam to talk about crystal palace i'm not really sure what exactly the objective would be maybe just top 10 or that every place you finish higher more money comes into the club Uh, but who do you need to step up here in the run-in
0: yeah no you're right it is a a difficult one now to, to pinpoint what our aim is i guess it's just to win as many games as possible and score as much as we can and entertain the fans a little bit more than we have done but um Obviously, it would be easy to say someone like Zohar or wan based on how good they've both been this season. But I think, for me, I'd look at one of our centre-backs, whether it's Scott Dan, James Tompkins, or even Martin Kelly, who hasn't been playing much of late, um, just sort of stepping into the shoes and vacated by Mamadou Sako because it's been really apparent in his absence how much we miss him. Uh, kind of from the sense that he's probably that leader in the in the back four who does a lot of the talking, does a lot of the organising, um, I mean, James Tompkins has looked pretty lost without him. Um, Hodgson's swapped between Dan and Kelly and clearly isn't good by either of them because he seems to change it almost every week at the moment. Uh, but I think the main thing actually, really, is that we actually miss Sacco's ability on the ball. Uh, I mean, a lot of people who watch him obviously think that he's not particularly good, he looks quite ungainly and always looks very awkward. But he's probably the only player. <clears throat> Sorry, he's probably the only player in that back four who has the ability to go from back to front and sort of pick a pass which um, which slices through midfield and gets us up the pitch. Uh, it's been really apparent watching watching us sort of move the ball along the back line that neither Scott Dan or James Tompkins are particularly capable of doing that. And um, yesterday it was fairly obvious that the fans were getting very, very frustrated as both players sort of tried to make a move forwards, uh, survey the area, wouldn't see anything on, and would end up just giving it back to the other. And, and a lot of times it meant we were getting caught in possession and Huddersfield's uh, came close to scoring from those situations on a couple of occasions. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think uh, I, I'd go as one of those guys. Um, but fingers crossed Sacco's back before the end of the season because uh, when he's on the pitch, he is... On 100% one of our most important players.
1: Yeah, well, that'd be interesting to see uh, if that does happen and uh, we'll just kind of see where you end up at the season. Is, is there anything in mind that you'd like to see you attain before the end of the year, like top 10? Or is it genuinely just uh, um, whatever happens, happens?
0: Yeah, I just don't know anymore. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> the two cru- the two big games are the ones before the international break. Again, you think if we, if we'd beaten Brighton, you would have, we probably would have had realistic Hopes of kind of uh, maybe even breaking into that top ten, but we're now six points behind West Ham. We're eleventh, seven behind Watford, and tenth. It just seems like a little bit too much to do. And obviously, the FA Cup defeat to Watford was uh, another moment which kind of put a sort of full stop at the end of at the end of our season. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think the the hope now is just to win as many games as possible and see how many goals we can score doing
1: it. Fair enough. Well, we'll get to that in uh, match previews here in a second, but (laughs) we'll lead off with Richard again. Uh, You're going to be playing uh, Cardiff, who we've been mentioning really, really need to uh, start picking up points after they kind of got jobbed a little bit there against Chelsea. Um, Do you think you might use this as as an opportunity to rotate people before uh, the running that we discussed earlier?
2: Yeah, uh, I I think there's a chance we'll rotate. um, But as usual it will still be a strong 11. Um, Whether this might be a chance to get Mendy back in, I suppose he probably won't start, but there's a a good chance he'll be on the bench. Uh, I would think De Bruyne will start. He's working his way back from injury and and did start the game against Fulham. Um, So I would expect to see him in again. It might be a game for Mahrez to start in after everything I've just said about him. It would... I think this is a match where he could be very, very useful if he's at his best because I would assume Cardiff will try and just be tight at the back and probably won't be all that adventurous going forward. I think that's that's probably a fair assumption to make. Um, he did get his first after a Bit of a slow start in front of goal. He did get his first goals for us against Cardiff. So, uh, you know, sometimes players they have opponents that they like playing against, and maybe you'll feel a little bit freer for that. You never know. Um, and yeah, maybe uh, given that Aguero, it looked precautionary, but he linked out against Fulham. It might well be a chance to to get Jesus back in front of goal. He did have a bit of a a purple patch from uh, January through February, having. Uh, having not been able to find the net with any regularity. uh, I think he went three months without a goal um, from August onwards earlier in the season. So it might be a good chance to play him back into a a bit of form. All of that makes it sound like I'm expecting an easy game and that it's just a case of turning up and getting the goals, which isn't the case. Um, But, you know, at home against Cardiff, we have to be favourites. We do have to be looking to put them to the sword early on, I think, Uh, and opening them up so that we don't get frustrated if they they do show up shop Um, and hopefully we can have a decent evening in front of goal but I won't be taking it for granted.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Tottenham will be playing Crystal Palace, which makes us uniquely qualified to discuss that one. Um, Obviously, it's going to be the debut of New White Hart Lane or Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as it is currently branded. Um, So obviously, after all the things we've discussed thus far, Tottenham have to win this match. Um, After all the struggles, after the drop points against Chelsea and uh, Arsenal, and then Liverpool. You have to win the ones against Burnley and Southampton, but we didn't win those ones either. So this is now every match remaining this season is a must-win. Obviously, including this one. Not only do you just want to get a win in your new stadium to just kind of open it the right way, um, but also this match has become far more crucial than we would have initially thought, even back when it was scheduled. Um, so it, it's going to be very tough. It has to be strongest eleven. I still don't think. Winks will be fully back. I don't think Aurier will be back, which is what leads me to having nightmare dreams about um, Trippier versus Zaha, especially with him out on the left, as you were saying. Um, so that, that's definitely going to be a concern. Um, you'd imagine that this experiment of starting Lucas so then you can bring on Sun as an impact sub will not be the case. I'd, I'd expect Sun to start again. Um, if if Winx is not ready to come back, we'll probably continue to see Ericsson or Deli Lee playing deep rather than playing Sissoko and Manyama together, because when we've tried that, it's just far too defensive. There isn't enough forward impetus there. Uh, so, that's really probably what we'll see. I, I, You know what? I wouldn't hate it if we brought in Gazzaniga um, after the the Lloris error, except this season, Potch has been very patient with players, um, and, and I think there was a quote from him somewhere basically saying, if you drop a player after their biggest mistake of the season, it's hard to get them back on side for the rest of it, um, which is a noble idea, but could lead you to playing players that aren't that aren't confident, which is not always the best way to handle things uh, in a week-to-week basis. He's obviously looking at the longer term. Uh, but that's mostly how we're going to set up. Must win. Hopefully Kane does the business, but typically we win these matches 1-0, as uh, Sam is all too familiar with. Uh, but how do you think <laughs> we'll see uh, Palace set up and play in this one?
0: Um, first of all, I'm actually really looking forward to this one, as, as I think Palace fans kind of do games that aren't at Southhurst Park at the moment, um, refreshing the page uh, vigorously when the tickets went on sale because uh, they put such a kind of high points threshold on this one for people to to get tickets that it, they were really really in demand as you can imagine but um, but yeah going into it it's kind of as you say it's a, it's a must win for it's a must win for Spurs now and Palace go into it kind of with absolutely zero to lose it's a free hit it's a new stadium and if we can kind of Tap into some of those those nerves that might be there. Um, then I have a sneaky feeling that we might be able to do something. But on on the other side of that coin, Spurs might just kind of relish playing this new stadium at last and beat us three 0 which is probably the more likely scenario. But um, but yeah, I'd we'll set up kind of much the same as we have done away from home this season. Um, we'll go one up top, uh, look to sit deep, and. Basically just defend for a lot of the games, give the ball to Zahara Townsend whenever we can get up of it. Uh, what I would quite like to see on, on Wednesday is actually I'd, I'd give Benteke a start. Um, just because, as I said before, we our performances of late haven't been particularly great with Batshuayi on the pitch. Um, not saying it all comes down, but I just think game against a big side... Uh, away from home, someone up front who's going to kind of hold on to the ball a little bit more um, and can actually get you up the pitch, and Batshuayi isn't necessarily the guy to do that, I don't think. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, but it is a very exciting one, and I think with Benteke, anyway, uh, with Batshuayi going back, on loan, uh, back to Chelsea at the end of his loan, uh, with each goal he's scored, I imagine his price tag's gone up, and I think he probably has aspirations of playing for a bigger club than Palace uh, with all due respect to us. Uh, So yeah, I think now would be an opportunity to kind of get Benteke some games and see if he can kind of find a bit of form before next season.
1: All right, well, yeah, hopefully uh, that you don't need to win this one translates into not trying at all, (laughs) but that is probably (laughs) unlikely uh, with a team of professional athletes. Um, All right, that'll do it for us today, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Richard The Burns uh, and I'm a member of the Blue Moon Podcast, a dedicated Manchester City podcast released uh, every Friday. Uh, we are on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. I also write two blogs a month uh, for the uh, for the podcast site, um, which is available to people who back us for just two dollars a month on Patreon. For which, uh, for people who do that, we are eternally grateful because it helps keep us going.
0: Cheers, Kev. Um... I've been Cott. You can, you can find me on Twitter at sam double underscore car. and you can find my work on the Palace fan site, The Eagles Beak.
1: Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can also find my writings uh, on fantasy football over at Goal and ESPN uh, if you're interested in such things. Also, we have a terrific championship show on this very channel, and uh, we, we're talking about how close things are in the Premier League. Similarly, uh, with the championship, with the automatic spots, with the playoff spots, everything's uh, really coming down to the wire here pretty much uh, throughout football. Uh, so if you're interested in the championship and want to see what's happening there, uh, be sure to check into that show as well. All right, but thanks again to you guys for coming on. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.